Welcome to the Pending Approval Podcast. I'm your host, Glenda Winyard, commonly known as GW. With me is my trusted producer, G. Hi, guys. Pending Approval is a podcast about the ups and downs of the business world. Hopefully, we can give you some insight into business and some ideas that you can use for your own business. And yes, we talk about the mindfuck moments too. And one of those we're going to talk about has has happened in the UK recently. Gee, you've been busy this last month. What have you been up to? Resolve content. Tell me a bit about Resolve. So we have had a really busy month. Um, The last few months I've been working on setting up Resolve Content, which is a division out of the Media Precinct where we've taken all of the content, creative work, any community management, and we've built a division around it. Essentially what that means is we're able to provide our clients a full service option where we can talk to them about their creative strategy all the way through to media and implementation and then reporting as well. So it's a really great opportunity We do everything from animation, video production, podcasts like you're listening to today, community management, but really the solutions are endless for our clients. Uh, And it just means that we're able to provide them with, like I said, that full service option, but with the ability to kind of feel stable at one specific location and have one specific accounts person run across their entire business. So it really is a new, exciting um, venture for us. And like you said, it has been very, very busy around here the last few months. It has been busy. Now, this podcast, we're going to talk about strategists. So according to Wikipedia, a strategist is a person with responsibility for the formulation and implementation of a strategy. Strategy generally involves setting goals, determining actions to achieve the goals, and mobilising resources to execute the actions. But I think strategy is so much more than that. Don't you, G? Absolutely. If, you know, if that was all I did in my day, then I'd have a pretty boring day. Well, that is true because you're a content strategist. I am. You are. So what's, um, what do you actually believe is the great thing about strategy? Because you can make an ad without strategy. Strategy can be whatever you want it to be, really. Like a, a strategy goes as far or as not in depth as anyone needs it to be. The beauty about strategy is that it's supposed to give you the full picture to what you're producing. You can produce an ad without strategy, but then what's the purpose of it? Okay. Well, I think we're going to flesh this out a little bit more. And to help us with this, we have Wakas Tahir from the In Culture Agency Loud. Welcome to Pending Approval, Wakas. All right. This podcast, we've decided we're going to talk about strategists. According to Wikipedia, a strategist is a person with responsibility for the formulation and implementation of a strategy. Strategy generally involves setting goals, determining actions to achieve the goals, and mobilising resources to execute the actions. Well, I found that so boring because I actually believe that strategists do a hell of a lot more than that. So to help us with this discussion today, we have Wakwas Tahir from the InCulture Agency Loud. Welcome to Pending Approval. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. So give us the bio, Wakwas. What is your path to becoming a strategist? How did you become a strategist? Well, the, the question about a path makes me want to talk about give you a history of my life, but I'll, I'll just start somewhere midway at my university and 
I had a degree in philosophy and I was really, really concerned about employability. And I started off in engineering and I wanted to move to philosophy and my dad said, listen, you, can, you should do what your heart desires, but I'm never going to give you a penny as soon as you graduate, so you're on your own after that. And the only industry that accepts people with a philosophy degree is advertising. And I was lucky enough to get a role in strategy, mainly because at Saatchi's, uh, there was a strategist from my university. And so the CEO really liked him and said, you know what, people from your university are good enough. We don't really expect you to have much knowledge. Uh, come and join us. And that's where I started, at Saatchi Lab, which is a division of Saatchi. Uh, I was there for a couple of years and then I moved to Ogilvy and this is still all in Singapore is, is where I studied. Uh, and after doing about three or four years in, in Singapore, I wanted to change in market. Well, actually, to be more honest, that's what, I, that's what I keep telling everyone, but I wanted to move to a place that would allow me to get rid of my Pakistani passport because it, I just couldn't travel. It was absolutely hopeless. And if you're in Singapore, you need to travel. And my biggest markets were India and Indonesia, two places I just couldn't go to. India just would never happen. Uh, and Australia's got open borders, uh, despite many contests to do to, to, to that. Um, and I came here on a work visa, uh, and then soon enough I started working with Ogilvy and, and today I'm a citizen. And since coming here, which was about, I think, seven years ago, I worked with Ogilvy, YNR for quite a lot of time, uh, briefs into DTB, and now I've been with Loud for a year and a half. That's amazing. So you're multicultural agency, yes. Loud, it's an in-culture they call themselves, the in-culture agency, which I find fascinating. Yes, they're an in-culture agency, and, and that is, you know, a very simple phrase that says we kind of understand culture. Um, and we chose that descriptor uh, deliberately because it's been, a lot has happened in marketing. Uh, people don't talk about culture. If 10 years ago or even 20 years ago, it would have been a very common positioning to say we're an agency that understands culture. Of course, every agency was focused on that. But since then, we've had digital marketing, so people are obsessed with data. And so a lot of people, are, a lot of agencies are positioning themselves in that space. There are other agencies who, who, who are kind of bored with advertising. It's hard to find an agency that wants to do advertising. Everyone wants to do brand experience, whatever that means. It it's, it's always ends up being an ad if you're contacting an advertising agency. Uh, but no one really is interested in culture. It's not a buzzword in the industry, as important as it has become outside the industry. Uh, and we can see evidence of that, plenty of that, yeah, all around the world, particularly so in America. That's why we kind of chose to, uh, to, to position ourselves in a cultural space. Uh, and the second reason is that we can see that culturally we are a very different country today. A quarter of Australians speak, uh, 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 actually almost half of Australians speak another language other than English in their homes. And so, as a result, we, we speak to, we, we understand uh, multicultural communities, ethnic communities, and can help brands uh, enter that market as well and establish presence in that market too. It's very interesting because I find Australia is going through a complete resurgence in cultural identity. It really is. I presented just before to a, a sportswear company about a particular audience with 22% who actually identify as first Australians. So I thought that's fantastic. I think it's fantastic that it's happening now. I really do. 
yeah, it is a massive change. Look, putting the business sector aside for one moment, so business strategists and, and things like that, I look at you, you're a, a strategist for a creative agency. I'm a strategist sitting in a media agency. So what's the difference between us? What do you do that's, you know, how do, you, how do we narrow it down? What do you do in your role that's slightly different from how I work? At a very simple level, I help brands uh, understand what they need to sell. So I'm a messaging strategist in a way. Uh, so I can help them understand the customers and go, you know what, given your customer needs and also given how creativity works in markets and, and general uh, rules of effectiveness, this is kind of what you need to say and how you need to say uh, or how you need to position your brand. Whereas I think what you do is, is you kind of help brands figure out where they need to say it. And so you're a channel strategist. Now, they're both messaging and channel strategy are very, very perhaps simplistic definitions of what we do because we both overlap and there's, there's a lot of crossover. But I think simple definitions are refreshing. It's, it's, it's increasingly unclear what a strategy actually does. Uh, and, and I think it, when we talk about messaging in channel, at least that becomes quite evident. Look, I think it's, it is evident, but I've always found some of the best strategists or creative strategists that I've worked with, I've been able to feed into and then draw out from at the other end. So we've worked very, very well together. And I think that's, like you say, you've got blurring of roles, but actually sometimes we can quantify what you're actually coming up with and things like that. So I think there's a great role um, for both to play in the advertising industry. It's just that sometimes clients don't know where to use us. I think that's something that's happening more and more at the moment. Yes, and I think strategy is always strategy is always a value add either way. You can you can make an ad without involving a strategist in a creative agency, and you can certainly buy media without involving a media strategist, as some agencies do. And so the burden's kind of on us to explain why a client should involve someone called a strategist and pay extra for that. Um, and, and that's where, you know, there are some very good answers to that question and then also there are a lot of very confusing and vague answers to that question. Mm, yeah, no, you're very right there. What's some of the tools of the trade that you use? I think that's a very interesting question. So technically speaking, creative strategists don't really use any specific tools. Uh, unlike media strategies, you've got access to a lot of very good, robust data. Whereas creative strategists, generally creative agency, will have access to some qualitative insight tools like Walk, for instance, I've seen that commonly in, in some big agencies. Uh, other than that, there's really no consistent use of a particular tool. And that is partly because creative strategists are interested more in what's happening in the public discourse and what's happening culturally. By its very definition, a lot of that is quite evident. Uh, you can monitor public discourse quite simply by being in touch with what's happening, or reading the news, watching TV, and just being in, in connection with, with everything around you. Um, you can use, I've been a big, big fan of social listening tools because it is pure, pure qualitative insights coming mm -hmm. straight from the customer, unfiltered in anonymous environments. Uh, and they're a very good insight into culture as well. And so you'll, you'll see some strategists use that as well because it's a good, good tool. Other than that, we're using really a certain type of analytical skill 
uh, a certain style of reasoning. You could throw creativity into that. And they're all very generalized thinking skills. But as far as tools go, we don't really use a lot of them. Yes, because media strategists use, like you mentioned before, a lot of quantitative research. But I also find that a lot of media strategists, they might know how to use a database, but they don't know how to interpret the data. And they cannot find that insight. And I think that's what makes the difference between a generalist strategist and a really great strategist is finding that insight. So tell me, who are some of the great strategists that you've learned from? I've learned from uh, a lot of my colleagues, colleagues and bosses and clients over the years. I, I give a lot of credit to clients that are not particular, you know, like Unilever, for instance, who invest, I think, more than any other client in market research uh, and also involve creative strategies and decisions that are far more fundamental than working out what the creative ad should be. For instance, what should the product be? What should its key USP be? How do you exactly test uh, products before you take them to market? How do you test advertising before you take them to market? How do you monitor it? So there are brands like Unilever, P&G, Nestle, who have such a rigorous process that I'd recommend every single strategies, particularly if you're starting in this industry, to start with those clients. And, and those clients have a reputation for being difficult and hard clients, but it's absolutely critical that you get the foundation right before you start working on beer brands, uh, which, is, which is a lot more loose and creative. So one you know, big, uh, I'd, I'd reference those clients as, as key to, to my skills development. And then there are other colleagues and bosses who I credit a lot to. My first boss, for instance, uh, in Singapore, and actually about two other bosses after that that people might not recognise were absolutely crucial to um, my skills. Other famous strategists in the industry, I think, uh, Julian Coles is one. He's an Australian. He's worked at a couple of different agencies. Mm. Last was BBDO, but now he's kind of on his own. Um, Mark Pollard is another one who I think does accept, is exceptional. Yes, yeah. yes, and I think sometimes the two of them work together mm. and uh, certainly both of them have committed to educating the industry and uplifting its standards. Mm. Uh, and Mark, what Mark Riston's doing as well uh, is mm. exceptional. Uh, and I think marketing or advertising is often accused of being very general uh, and lacking technical skills, but I think the foundations these guys are putting together with education is it actually makes a big difference uh, and, and gives us something to market as well. Yeah, I look. I worked with a creative strategist uh, called Bridget Yates who'd been across at BBH. I worked with her at McCann's and she was incredible. And as I say, the two of us could work very well together where I could feed into her pull it out at the other and pull out the other end where she would she struggled. So it was really pulled into that connection strategy. So it was fabulous to be able to work with someone of her quality. And the other one that we've got is young Georgia, who is producer G. She is a developing quickly as a quite a brilliant strategist in her own right too. So and very different from us because she's more based on content than media or creative per se. So it's um it's quite cool. Well Quas, tell us what is it that you actually do? Okay, and who are some of the agencies that you've worked with and how have you worked them? What are some of the brands that you've worked on? Yeah, well, um, 
some of the brands and agencies I've worked on. So I mentioned some of them, Ogilvy, YNR, um, Saatchi, for instance, and now Loud. Uh, in terms of clients, it's a long list, including people like Unilever, PNG, Nestle, Coca-Cola, but also uh, you can get into uh, brands like Menulog or NRMA uh, that I've worked with in Australia and heaps of others in financial services uh, and, and, and most other categories as well. Um, in terms of what I exactly do with them, really there is, it, it, it confused me in my early years a lot because there isn't a straight path to developing a strategy. Uh, I'd like to think that if you're an engineer or if you're an accountant, you know that here are a couple of different things you have to check before you start doing something and this is how you can't fix them and that wasn't quite the case with strategy. I've learned though since particularly um, having, you know, I'm a big fan of Byron Sharp for putting that academic, dis academic discipline in the industry. So one of the things I start with is I kind of go, whatever I'm talking about, I go, give me, give me a list of your category drivers, no matter what your category is, no matter what brand you are, I want to know what are the top reasons that drive your category, or in other words, what are the top reasons that influence consumer choice. Um, and that to me is the checklist of how your brand is doing and, and where I need to base my strategy on. And, and so that's kind of where I start and that's where I start to you know, figure out how does your brand map against those category drivers. Strategically, you've got to kind of figure out which drivers are you going to put your money on. And, and you know, that makes for a very interesting discussion and it's only after that that you start to figure out, oh, how do I make this interesting for customers? What are the insights that's going to make me a slightly diff different brand? Excuse me, from some, some of my competitors. How do I stand out in culture? How does my marketing get more bang for, for buck, basically, by being more popular uh, than my competitors? Now, you talk about in culture. So, how does it work being a strategist in an in culture agency? Because that's slightly different again, isn't it? You're walking away from the general population. You're now talking to called audiences or whatever the audience may have been developed. How does that work? Well, I think, let, let, let me clarify that. I think we, we're an agency that will, in, by culture, we mean the first question we'll ask is what are the cultural issues that are relevant to your brand? And that question does not have to be specific to called audiences. Uh, we operate in mass culture, a lot of our work is done for brands in mass culture. But we can't ever neglect the growing uh, call and so where certain brands have engaged us specifically for call audiences, uh, we start to ask actually how are, for instance, if it was a brand in finance, how do different call audiences see money? What is their idea of savings? What is their idea of insurance? What is their idea of, in banking, it's important to talk about interest, for instance, when you're dealing sometimes with Muslim audiences. Uh, their idea of insurance is also completely different. Hence, you have, uh, in, in Islamic markets, you have Islamic banking, you have Islamic insurance and all those kind of things. So that is a question we always ask, but that's not to say that we only operate in cold audiences because the consequence applies to everyone else as well, particularly mass culture is, is where it starts to get interesting. Now tell me about Gruen. Recently Loud was on Gruen. Yes. Tell us about the brief. What was the insight? And how did you strategically fall on the position 
with the campaign that you went in with? Yeah, um, the briefing room was for a fictional client called the Art Institute, I have memory, and the idea was for, for, for the Segura segment on the pitch where two agencies will pitch on a, on a topic, one in support of it and one against it, and it was our task to provide a good argument for why, why the public should continue investing in the art sector, uh, whereas our competitors had to convince the public otherwise. Um, we, there are so many directions you could take, and really the only thing that we were willing to was, was being very specific to a certain point, and we looked at a lot of different angles. Um, um, we, we, for instance, there was, there was an idea about why should you invest in art? Because, well, without investing in art, you wouldn't have professional artists. And if you don't have professional artists, you're going to have a lot of shit art. And that's not a good thing. If you look at all the art and beauty in the world, and if that would look as good as it does, uh, it wouldn't be a great idea. And we explored a whole bunch of different angles, and, and between me and the creative director and, and CEO as well, um, we kind of landed on this very concrete fact uh, that actually, if you think about art, one of its core perception issues is that it seems like a flippant expense, uh, that perhaps our tax dollars shouldn't go towards it because it doesn't really support uh, any jobs, any significant jobs. Uh, it seems like something that only indulges famous artists and big galleries for rich people. And, and that wasn't the case. In fact, it employs a lot of people, more people, I think, than even the mining sector, as we said uh, in the ad. And so actually, that's a very, very straightforward counter-argument to uh, that misperception that art isn't an economic driver. Uh, and, and the whole advertising was based around that. It was a beautiful ad. I saw that ad and I thought I could make that work in media, which I think is quite rare for a lot of those campaigns. Will Anderson took it upon himself to veto the vote yes. and split the trophy in half. So it was a bit controversial. It was a bit controversial and I think it's interesting why it was controversial. What Our ad wasn't funny. It was very insightful, very compelling. Uh, and if, in fact, you go to Gruen's Twitter feed and you look at, because they've tweeted both ads, and if you look at the views that both of the ads have gotten, there's a big difference. We've got something like 84,000 views, whereas the other ad has something like 2,400 views. Uh, and the commentary isn't quite as rich either. So in terms of popular culture or popular vote, we won. But on the panel itself, the humour uh, that, that our competitors brought in was, was compelling, it appealed to them instantly, and they remembered it. Uh, and hence, when they were voting, they said, well, okay, that was funny, that got me, and uh, I'm going to vote for it. Whereas Russell, perhaps, he had a bit more time to think about it. And it was also, as he said, an ad that was, was the, of the style that he preferred, a clean ad with a good fact that was dramatised in, in a beautiful way. Yeah, no, it was. it was. It was absolutely beautifully produced as well. Now, we're coming to the end. I can't let December go without talking about Christmas campaigns because it's nearly upon us. You made the suggestion to me that we had to talk about campaigns that we actually saw on television. Look us. My gosh. Lots of retail crap selling product and price. No surprises there. We don't do retail well in this market, do we? Now, Coke are out with their traditional Christmas campaign. 
What did you find? I, that, that's the, uh, so generally I would not have seen any ads, but I've started watching a couple of TV series on SBS uh, on demand and I came across, the only ad I've come across, I think, actually there are two ads. One is a cut down of a Coke Christmas ad. And I say it's a cut down because it doesn't make a lot of sense. And I think the original ad would have been about 60 seconds or something. Yeah, it's playing in um, pay TV. And yes. so you can see it in those platforms, yeah. Yes. Um, it's it's all, you know, snow and Santa. And, and that's about all I can say about the message because I don't really remember much. People coming together and it's snowing. So it also doesn't feel like an Australian ad. Uh, the other ad I've seen is technically not a Christmas ad, but it's an NRMA ad. And they're giving people $100 off because Christmas is an expensive period for families and they, they could use a lower bill for their insurance. So it's a retail offer for Christmas. Those are the only two ads that I've seen, that I remember. I don't think I've seen anything else. Now, if I go to Campaign Brief or Umbrella or any other trade journal, there's, there's heaps of other ads, some of them international. But I've made it a point this year not to watch any of those. Uh, except for the one that we're, we're going to discuss as well, isn't it? Yes. I, because I said to Akas, I don't think you can beat the UK for a great Christmas campaign. I really don't. I think very few markets do it as well as what they do in general. So coming from the In Culture Agency Loud, I did want to ask you a question around the controversy surrounding the Sainsbury Christmas campaign. I think it's absolutely gorgeous campaign, true slices of life, family member ringing in to mum and dad or, you know, whoever may be answering the phone. There's three ads, the Gravy Boat Song, Perfect Portions and Big Sani. And the Gravy Boat Song features a family of West Indian heritage and there's been quite a backlash. I thought it was a fantastic ad. But here's some of the responses to the campaign. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas and white in capitals. We'll be switching channels every time this ad comes on. Well done, Sainsbury's, for jumping on the bandwagon. Good advert. Looking forward to seeing the UK version. Well done, Sainsbury's. You've managed to completely alienate the few remaining white customers you still had. Black represents 4% of the population, but you've ignored the other 96% good call. Oh, my God. Is that not shades of love thy neighbour? Like I just felt sick. You and I are both ethnically diverse. You've got Eddie in that Love Thy Neighbour TV series talking about Nig Nogs and Bill the Jamaican talking about the white honky living next door. And I just think, oh, my God, in the year that Black Lives Matters, have we absolutely gone back a 100 years? But I love to Sainsbury's response. Before I get your input, I'm going to, I'm going to actually talk about this because I think it's so important to us. And I loved their response. So they came out, Sainsbury's, at Sainsbury's, we want to be the most inclusive retailer. That's why throughout all our advertising, we aim to represent a modern Britain which has a diverse range of communities. We have three stories of three different families in our advertising. What Christmas will look like is uncertain for everyone at the moment, but we wanted to focus on how food can connect people, whether they're physically together or not. These ads aim to evoke memories of Christmas food, which can transport your, you home wherever you are 
Thank you, Sainsbury's. What did you think? I could, I said, I can't understand what is controversial about it. Now, this, this is a Christmas ad featuring, a, you know, family from a diverse background, um, and it does not make a political statement. It's not a Benetton ad. It's just a, it's just a family, an African-American family having a, having a Christmas meal. No statements are made about, you know, whether we should be more inclusive or whether we should be more accepting of differences. No, nothing like that is said. Um, so I couldn't quite understand why it is so controversial, and I suppose it's the cultural context. Uh, it's such a divided, divided time. We're all so polarised. We're all so sensitive to any um, sort of representations of, of, of our culture that something that is slightly different, even though completely uncontroversial I mean, in any other time, has led to such a polarised response. Uh, it would, this wouldn't be the case, I think, even, you know, in pre-Trump uh, world uh, or pre-Brexit, I think, you know, five, ten years ago, I don't think we would have that backlash, but now we do. I just, I just couldn't believe it. I just completely thought it was so fucked up it wasn't funny. Because I am from a culturally diverse family and we have brown people and white people and, you know, all sorts of different shades of, of colours in my family that I just couldn't understand. Like, I can't comprehend it. And I could not comprehend that it was one ad in a series of three. The other two feature Caucasian families. I just couldn't understand that it was, it was singled out the way that it was. And it's a beautiful campaign. It actually makes me cry. You know, I've got family overseas at this time. I can't get to see them because of COVID-19 restrictions and things like that. And so I look at it and I go, that makes me, I think Sainsbury did a great campaign. It used a, a terrific amount of insight. It was strategically strong. And they just happened to have a family of colour as one of the families. Yeah. I, I absolutely loved it, well produced, it was just like a home video, nothing too polished uh, and, and, and you want to watch it, you, you generally, you know, uh, you're witnessing a family moment at a time when, when there are many of them because of COVID. So the reaction is completely surprising. It is surprising. Do you ever experience that kind of racist backlash when you're working through the advertising that you do with Loud? Uh, you mean for a brand? Yeah. No. No, and I think that's kind of the idea that we understand culture well enough to, to, to position your brand in a way that's nuanced and doesn't quite alienate uh, different audiences. Uh, and perhaps Australia is, is, is surprisingly more tolerant than the UK and America are today. And so we haven't had that problem. Uh, and we've been lucky in that sense. I think we're very lucky that we're not over there. I, th- I just was appalled, totally appalled by the whole whole situation. And I actually read about it in a blog um, from one of our agencies that we work with out of the UK called The Kite Factory. And, you know, I, I, I thought they were so shocked as well. You know, it was just terrible. Well, Kwas, it's that time of the year. We're coming to an end. Thank you for sharing your time with us. Thank you for having me. That's been great. Thank you. Cheers. Well, that's it for the year. Thank you, Wakas, for sharing your time with us. And, Jean, this, we've just put our last pending approval to bed for the year. It feels pretty good to put that one to bed, to be honest, but it would be great just to say thank you guys so much for tuning in each sometimes month, I guess. It's been a really great year for us 
um, a really good opportunity to start pending approval and hopefully we can take it somewhere further in the future. Well, Jean, 2020 is over. COVID-19 will probably still be hanging around in the new year and there are likely to be other challenges that we're all going to have to face as a business community. So just remember to be safe, enjoy your time with those that mean something to you this holiday season. I know I definitely will be and we'll be back in the new year. See you then.